Don't you just love church? There's never a dull moment. We've even got visual object lessons of snakes up front during the children's features. I love it. I want to um, not forget this morning, uh, and I just asked Crystal about, about Rhonda. We know that she's been dealing with some health issues, and, and she just told me that she's back in the hospital again this morning, so we want to remember to pray for Rhonda Weeb and whatever she's dealing with, that God would just intervene and bring, and bring healing there. And so uh, we want to remember her in prayer as well. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are uh, very near to us, especially when we are struggling with illness. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would be especially near to Rhonda this morning. Uh, as she's in the hospital, Lord, we don't know the details, but we know that you, you do. You know every detail right down to, to the exact issue and what's causing it. And so, Lord, we just leave that in your hands, and according to your will, we pray, lay a healing touch upon her, and that she would feel your presence and know your peace this morning. And, and be with her family as well, be with Dennis, be with Crystal, and uh, we just pray that you would give them your peace as well, and that everything uh, will turn out exactly as you will. And so we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And so now, Father, this morning, as we hear from your word, we pray that you will speak through it, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name against any distractions. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have ears to hear entirely and exactly what you have for us through your word. I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I begin this morning with a true account from the Christian reader written by a missionary named Robert Duran. Robert Duran writes about one of his return visits to a church plant that he was a part of in Mexico. These are his words. Our our horses carefully picked their way along the rock-strewn path. Finally, after two hours of travel by truck and eight hours on horses, we could discern the outlines of the small Hucol village in Mexico. We looked forward to seeing our friends we had made in this remote village during three years of visits, most of all, Pastor Alfredo. First to notice our arrival, the dogs and children loudly brought the news to all those indoors. Hucles are patient and shy, but one woman named Maria Teresa beckoned us to her door. Her husband, Santo, was lying sick inside and he wanted to see us. Their low-walled, thatched-roofed houses were built of stones with no windows. There Santo lay on a bed made of blankets, which hardly raised him off the dirt floor. He greeted us weakly, and then was caught up in a spasm of coughing and a fit. The first time we'd met Santo was three years earlier. A villager had led us to him, and upon our introduction informed us that Santo was in fact their most feared witch doctor. Taken aback, I didn't know what to say. And before we could even introduce ourselves, Santo took my hand and said, Robert, I have been waiting for your visit. Completely surprised, I asked him, and how did you know my name? He replied, the guiding spirits left me yesterday. They told me of your name and of your coming, and they said they could not stay while you were in the village. Well, that began a series of visits where we taught Santo and the villagers about Jesus. The end result was 18 of the villagers became followers of Jesus Christ. But still, over those three years, even while the other villagers came to faith in Christ, Santo resisted. But now here he was, lying sick on the floor. 
But his eyes lit up as we entered. And without any word of welcome, he simply and quietly said the words, Allow me to pray that I might receive Jesus Christ and follow him. Well, joy filled my heart, and I asked him if he was willing to confess his sins and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. He nodded. But three times I began the prayer, and three times as Santo opened his mouth, he could not get the words out. They got stuck. He could not verbalize them. And suddenly I discerned that this was in fact the demonic spirits that had driven him to this sickness and were now not allowing him to speak forth the words of faith in Jesus. And so there in the name of Jesus, we commanded the spirits to leave. Santo tensed and then relaxed. And finally, in a barely audible whisper, he prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Save me. I need you. And with those words, you could see the relief wash across his face and a peace that you could feel filled that small hut. Three months later, we received word from Santo's wife that one morning he had gotten up from his sickbed for the first time in months and asked for food. Thrilled at his healing, she had made a feast and had tortillas and everything that he liked best on the table, and he ate them with appetite and gusto. But at the conclusion of the meal, he said to his wife and the others gathered around the table, This is my last meal. Tonight, Pastor Roberto's God is coming to take me to his house. And just as he said, that very night, Santo passed peacefully into eternity. Saved from the clutches of Satan by the power of Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we are fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I suspect that for the vast majority of us gathered here today, The sort of sensational spiritual warfare that we just heard about is entirely foreign. Of course, we hear a story like that, and and we believe that it's true. And, And it's even thrilling to hear stories like that from the mission field, of where God is going out in a mighty way, and and there's forces of evil opposing, and demonic spirits, and they are cast out and pushed back. And, And we love to hear those exciting stories. But even in hearing this story this morning, I suspect that for you it feels far removed from your personal experience. Your life in comparison to the exciting stories of the mission field might often seem mundane and boring in comparison. Now, as many of you know, and and things that I've shared over the years, I have experienced in different settings some very real spiritual warfare. I've seen it firsthand at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. I've seen what I believe to have been demonic possession and and encountered some very real pushback from some evil forces at different times. I've experienced some of this, not like some of these missionaries have, but I have had enough experience to know that it is very real. But even so, even having said all of that, I will tell you that I still find it extremely easy to get lulled into a false sense of security. 
I find it extremely easy, even as a pastor who who knows the spiritual realm is real and has encountered it, to just kind of be going through the routine of of week-to-week, day-to-day life, and and it's far removed from my mind, and I'm not thinking about the enemy being active, the enemy actually being real and opposing God and his children. And so it's easy in this mindset to forget that the enemy could in fact be lurking around any corner. But a recent event that I was called upon to assist in involving a direct demonic manifestation reminded me once more of just how real the spiritual battle is all around us. And without getting into any more particulars... One person involved in this situation said to me, Up until now, I just lived in my real life. I don't know anything about this supernatural stuff. And so I had replied, That's the thing. We don't think about supernatural or the spiritual realm being a part of our real life. That is, until it confronts us directly. But whether we are aware of it or not, the spiritual battle is happening all around us all the time. And so this is what I want to highlight for you today. Whether you are aware of it or not, the spiritual battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan, they are battling all around you, and yes, they are battling over you. They are, they are fighting. They are fighting for your family They are fighting for your children. They are fighting for your grandchildren. They are fighting for your school, yes, your church, your town, and your nation. There is a battle happening for souls and destinies every single day. But as incredible as that may be to try to wrap our heads around, more incredible still is this. And this is our first point for this morning. As a Christian... If you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he is your Lord and Savior. If that describes you, as a Christian, you are called by God to be a soldier in this spiritual battle. You are called to be a participant, a soldier in this spiritual battle. Now, you don't have to go to the Hukoil in Mexico or to the Mangans in Papua New Guinea to engage in this spiritual battle either. The battle, as I've already said, is happening right here in the town of Killarney, right now, day in and day out. And yes, real lives, real lives, not some obscure lives of people we don't know in distant nations, no, real lives with real names, with real people that you know, and their souls, their futures and eternal destinies are hanging in the balance. But now the question, do you see yourself this way? Do you see yourself as a soldier called by God to engage in this spiritual battle? Or do you see yourself more as a non-combatant? Do you see yourself as a soldier or do you see yourself as just kind of a civilian on the sidelines? I'm a non-combatant. That's not my thing. Because, well, after all, we could justify, because aren't good Mennonites supposed to be pacifists, right? Right? So if, if we're supposed to be pacifists, that means non-combatants, right? So that means no fighting. So I don't, this whole spiritual warfare thing, that's not for us, right? Well, 
Hate to break it to you. Hate to break it to you. But when it comes to spiritual battle, that attitude is dead wrong. In fact, if we go back in church history, at the beginning of the Reformation, it was radical, and I mean radical, disciples of Jesus, led by courageous men like Menno Simons, who fearlessly, and I mean fearlessly, with great courage, engaged in this spiritual battle. Even though it cost many of them their very lives, as they were hunted and killed in horrific ways. But they did not stop. And they did not disengage from the fight. They knew they were called. And so in countless different ways, men and women, old and young, and yes, even boys and girls, engaged in this spiritual battle. And God brought about a tremendous victory through their dedication and their sacrifice. We are still the recipients of it today. And so we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, soldiers who saw themselves as called, no matter what their station in life, to engage fully, directly in the spiritual battleground. So let me ask you, are you engaged? Are you engaged in the battle? Because whether you realize it or not, there is no such thing as a non-combatant in this fight. There is no such thing. Of this, Billy Graham once said, At this moment of history, two mighty trinities stand face to face. The trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and the false trinity that Satan would have us worship in his place. That is the trinity of evil, the devil, Antichrist, and the false prophet as described in the book of Revelation. Never for a second of your waking or sleeping life are you without the influence of these two powerful forces. Never is there a moment when you cannot deliberately choose to go with one or the other. Always the devil is standing at your side, tempting, coaxing, threatening, cajoling. And always on your other side stands Jesus, the all-loving, the all-forgiving, waiting for you to turn to him, and ask his aid, waiting to give you supernatural power to resist the evil one. There isn't a no man's land between where you can hide. You are on one side or the other. Now, most of us are not called to be pastors or missionaries or evangelists or church planters. Certainly most of us are not called to be exorcists. That's not what I'm saying this morning. So that might make you feel like you're out of the thick of the fighting, that you're not, you know, on the front lines of this battle. But let me say again, this is simply not true. In the summer of 1940, at the height of the Battle of Britain, facing the relentless Nazi onslaught, Prime Minister Winston Churchill spoke to the British Commonwealth, all of the nations, including Canada, and this was his message. This is a war of the unknown warriors. The whole of the warring nations are engaged. Not only soldiers, but the entire population. Men, women, and children. The fronts are everywhere. The trenches are dug in the towns and streets. Every village is fortified. Every road is barred. The front lines run through the factories. The workmen are soldiers with different weapons, but the same courage. In the same way... The Christian church today 
as in every age, is embarked on a grand enterprise, indeed the grandest in the history of the world. It is to bring the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to every single man, woman, and child on this entire planet. That is the mission. That is the, that is the assignment from our commander-in-chief. And though tremendous strides have been taken, it cannot and will not be completed by only a few. It will and must require the full engagement of every single believer of Jesus Christ embracing their God-given role in this massive struggle. Just as it took the entire commonwealth and every single person invested in, in the Allied victory to defeat Nazi Germany in World War II, it will require that and more from the global church, the worldwide church of Christ, to say every last one of us has a part to play in reaching the, the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, in engaging in whatever role God has given you wholeheartedly. And then and only then, I believe, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be reached. And then, Jesus says, the end will come, and he will return. And so that means that every last one of us, you and me, every last one of us has a part to play in this spiritual battle. And so, will we embrace our role? Will we enter into our calling? Or will we just sit back and say, I'm not really much of a fighter, I'm a non-combatant, just leave me out of it. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus said this, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Are you fighting for that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Because one day when we stand before God's throne, the Bible says we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as believers, this is not into salvation or damnation, but believers will be evaluated by our lives and our obedience unto rewards. And in that moment, his evaluation of our lives will not be based on how well we avoided the fight. It will not be based on how well we... we, we, put ourselves into other endeavors or hobbies or, or, or work interests. No, the evaluation will be based on how willing we were to throw ourselves into the thick of battle on his behalf to advance his kingdom no matter the personal cost. That is what each one of our lives will be evaluated upon. Are you ready for that evaluation? Are you ready to stand before the throne and say, Yes, Lord, I dedicated myself wholeheartedly to the call that you placed on my life? In the movie Pearl Harbor, there's a scene in which Raff says to an English officer before going into battle. The English officer had said to him, Settle down, buddy. Do you have a death wish? To which Raff had replied, I'm not anxious to die, sir. I'm just anxious to matter. Are you anxious to matter? Are you anxious to have your life matter, not just in this life, but in eternity? If you're anxious to matter, then engage in the call that God has placed on your life. Because that is the only way that your life will matter in eternity. So embrace your call as a soldier of God. Forever put to death that view of yourself as a non-combatant. It doesn't exist. It's a lie from Satan. Just put it away, put it in the ground. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ in this battle. Embrace your call, see yourself for who God has called you to be. 
and step forward in faith. So that's point number one. Embrace your call in this fight. Number two, get equipped for the fight. Get equipped. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. In the most horrific and bloody battle of attrition ever waged in human history, the battle of Stalingrad between Soviet Russia and Nazi Germany raged for over six months, and in that six months claimed over two million lives. Of those two million casualties, over three-quarters of them were Russians. The reason was simple. Equipment. You see, the invading German army was well-trained and equipped with the most cutting-edge weaponry and and equipment ever devised in, in, in the history of the world up until that point. The Germans, when it came to equipment, they had it all, and they had the best. The Russians, on the other hand, well, they didn't even have enough rifles to give to each of their soldiers. In the movie Enemy at the Gates... That reality is clearly and gruesomely depicted as thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Russian conscripts are literally transported to the front lines, and once there, the men are divided into pairs. The first man is given a rifle. The second man is given only bullets. When the main character in the film asks, where's my gun? The officer replies, there will be enough extra guns on the ground soon enough. Then, they're forced to charge the well-entrenched and equipped German army and, not surprisingly, are quickly slaughtered. The painful lesson of Stalingrad is simple. In war, being properly equipped matters. The same is true in spiritual warfare. To rush into battle unequipped, to rush into battle without the right weaponry is a sure recipe for a quick and painful defeat. But thankfully, God does not send us into battle unequipped. He has given us spiritual armor and weaponry both for defense and for offense. But the key is, as Paul says, we must put on every piece and we have to put it on actively. Now, time does not allow us to go in examining each piece of armor. There's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of readiness to spread the gospel, and the shield of faith with which we can extinguish each of the flaming arrows of the evil one. But just know that each of these pieces of armor is important, but none more so than the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. For it is by the spoken word of God that we can attack and destroy the strongholds and the lies of Satan. And if you you are ever directly confronted by or become aware of a demonic presence or, or some sort of a dark influence that's going on, just as in our opening story with Santo and the spirits that had taken possession of him, If you ever come up against anything like that in any way, if you are a child of God, you have been given the ultimate weapon, which is the authority of Jesus' name to command any unclean, any evil spirit to depart by the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ. 
to underline that point because it is so important that every child of God knows this. I'm going to share this story once more, and I know many of you have heard it, uh, me share it before, but we all, old and young, need to know how vitally important the power of Jesus' name is. I was 16 years old, and I just completed my first summer working as a cabin leader at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. God was working in my life in some really cool ways, and I was just super excited to keep serving him. And at the end of the summer, there was this staff wind-up, and one of the other cabin leaders uh, hosted it at their farm near Crystal City. And I recall that we had stayed up, as is usual, at those sorts of things way too late. And I'd finally gone to bed, I think, somewhere around 4 a.m. And shortly thereafter, I had a dream. And in this dream... The evening sun was shining just over a lovely evening on the farmyard at which we were staying. And I recall I was playing a game of kick the can. Most of you have been through youth group know what kick the can is, right? And so we were playing this game, kick the can, and I was up on top of a big bale stack on the yard. Everything was peaceful when suddenly this feeling of sheer terror just swept over me, head to toe, and and I felt the presence of evil behind me. That's all I can describe. I felt the presence of evil. And I turned around, and I looked, and I saw Satan standing there. His image in the dream was the the image of the hideous Apollyon in the book Pilgrim's Progress, which I had read as a child. And that was the image that was there staring at me. And I was frozen by fear. I was, I was so terrorized, I, I just remember feeling numb, like, like I was paralyzed. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, and I don't remember him actually saying words, but I remember the challenge in the presence was like a shout in my face, and it was the question. So you think you're going to serve God? Look at you. You're pathetic. You're weak. You're no match for me. And I had no reply. I... I I had no reply. I was weak. I was all of those things that he was accusing me of. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, I found my voice, and it was speaking. And it was as though I was hearing someone else speak, but it was my own voice, and the words that came out of me were, in the name of Jesus, leave me alone. That was it. In the name of Jesus, leave me alone. And Satan then got this expression on his face like, how did you know to say that? And then suddenly I felt this incredible boldness just surge up within me. And at the top of my lungs, I mean top of my lungs, I bellowed it. In the name of Jesus, leave. And I mean, I shouted it. And just like that, Satan turned, he hopped off the bales, poof, he was gone. The sun comes back up and everything's peaceful. And I immediately woke up, drenched in sweat. And I remember even looking at the guys that were sleeping in the room around me to see if I had woken them up because I was certain that I had shouted this out loud. And whether I had or not, thankfully, none of them awoke. But I know now, as I, as I reflect back on that experience, that without having any previous training that I could recall, in that moment, it was the Holy Spirit within who prompted me to use the name of Jesus against the enemy. And James 4 verse 7 states this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now remember, this is key. Do not resist in your own power, but in God's power. 
And when you do resist in God's mighty power, yes, Satan himself has to flee. So I want you to know that yes, you are called to battle, but second, get equipped for the battle. Put on the armor of God. That's not just a one-time thing. That is an active thing. That is a daily thing. We have to gear up. We have to be in God's word. We have to be putting on all of these different things so that God, in the time of testing, in the time of battle, properly equipped with the name and authority of Jesus in our mouths, Satan himself has to turn and run because we are taking ground for the kingdom. That is our call. That is our mission. And we are empowered to do it. So put on the equipment and step forward in faith. Number three. This is so important. Get battle tested and persevere in prayer. Get battle tested and persevere in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I want to underline the two key phrases in this passage. On all occasions. On all occasions and be alert and always keep on praying. So this speaks first to the fact that the spiritual battle is constant. It never stops. And because the battle never stops, we never stop praying. And the second thing it speaks to is that retirement for the Christian soldier in this life is not an option. Retirement is past the pearly gates. It is not on this side. Retirement is not an option. It says, be alert and persevere in prayer consistently, daily. There is no off switch. There is no I'm done. It keeps going until the end of this life. And so, persevere in prayer no matter what, old or young. This is our assignment. And I see that too often the temptation is there for the season the seasoned and battle-tested Christian, to look back on their past battles and service to the Lord and then say, well, you know what, Lord, I've done my part. It's time for me to relax and, and let someone else do it now. But the reality is that's, that's simply not how God operates. That's not how he calls his children. His call is a lifetime call to follow him in obedience and service. And yes, the roles will change, but God wants you to now use your experience. And he wants you to use your hard-won faith and hard-won lessons from the battles you faced in the past. And he wants you to take those and leverage those into investing in those who are younger, following behind you. And at the very least, and at the very most, pray, 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 and pray some more. Prayers are like the long-range artillery of this spiritual war that we're in. You know, we pray so often, and we don't necessarily know where they go. We, we pray, we fire them off, and we're not exactly sure where they're going to land. And often, when we pray, we don't see the impact. But when we pray, we can trust that our prayers and the guidance system of our prayers is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide those prayers to do exactly with them as He wills. And they will hit the mark. And you know what? The mark may be hit even after we have left this earth. Because God doesn't put an expiration date on prayers. 
I was reminded of the long-range power of prayer just this past Wednesday morning. Forgive me. This hits close to home. This past Wednesday morning, I had just finished leading the Bayside Church service, and I was shaking hands with the residents when I came up on Mrs. Klazowski. And as I shook Mrs. Klazowski's hand, she said to me, Whenever I hear you preach, I think of your grandpa Dave. Well, that got my attention. And and I asked her, why? Why is that? Why, whenever you hear me preach, you think of, of my grandpa? And she replied, well, you probably already know this. But when we were neighbors on Wells Street, we would often visit back and forth. And and often we would spend time praying together. And many times, your grandpa would pray. And I mean not just one time, many times, your grandpa would pray and ask God that one of his grandsons would become a preacher. And here you are. So every time I see you preach, I think of your grandpa. And that got me. Because you see, I didn't know that. I'd never heard that before. And though he's been gone since 2005, 13 years, I thank God once more for my grandpa and his prayers on my behalf. Because his prayers and his influence have not expired. His battle-tested faith And his willingness to persevere in prayer is still having an impact on my life all these years later. Your prayers that you are going to lift up today, you may never see the answer to. You may be praying for grandchildren right now who have wandered far from the Lord. And you're thinking, I'm near the end of my life. I don't know. Lord, I want to see them come back before I go. But Lord, I am praying in faith that that day will come, whether I see it on this side or the other. Do not discount the long-range impact of your prayers, your faithfulness, your godliness, and passing that along. Because it is very, very real. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, as he neared the end of his life, Knowing the end was close, he said this to Timothy, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul said, I have fought the good fight right to the end. So how about you? How about you? Are you resolved to fight the good fight of faith until the end? Are you determined to pass on your hard-fought faith to future generations? Are you daily committed to persevere in prayer, knowing that it will have a lasting impact far beyond even your earthly life? So if you are, I know God will take that and he will use that in, in ways and impact that you cannot imagine at this moment. And so embrace your call. Get equipped. Engage in the battle. Be battle-tested. Persevere in prayer. And we will see amazing things that God has yet to do and that we have the privilege of being a part of. 
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we go into battle, we do not go alone. You promised that, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And Lord, as we look at the world around us, we can't help but think we are nearing the end of the age. But thank you that you are there. You are there. You are with us right now. Even if these are the last days, we pray, Lord Jesus, give us greater boldness, give us greater power, give us greater love that we may engage, that we would not be those who shrink back, but that instead we would step up. That if up until this point, Lord, if there's people here this morning who, re- who recognize they've been viewing themselves as a non-combatant, I pray, Lord, stir their spirit. Stir their spirit to step up, to not shrink back, because you have a role for them to play, each one of us, in this world-changing mission. So, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, stir up within us. Stir up within us in such a way that we will embrace our call, that we will be excited to put on your armor, to have your name and authority in our lips, and to know that when we step forward, Satan has to flee. He has to shrink back because you are greater and you are in us. And so, Father, we pray that these prayers and our gifts of service and love to you, Lord, even if it means sacrifice, we pray, Lord Jesus, that in the end, in all of this, that we will be able to stand before your throne and say, yes, Lord, with your help and by your grace, I engaged. I gave it everything I had right to the very end. And we know, Lord, that that will put a smile on your face. And to that end, we aim. And we aim, Lord, that not one of these precious children of yours should be lost, but that each one should come to salvation through Jesus Christ. Use us, we pray. Amen.